Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Daughters of the Dust. Daughters of the Dust takes place in Evil Landing in 1902. Viola Paisant and Yellow Mary are briefly returning home to the Southern Sea Islands for a family reunion before saying their permanent goodbyes. Despite heartfelt protests from the matriarch Nana Paisant, played by Coralie Day, Viola, Yellow Mary, and most of the Paisant family are heading north to the mainland to start a new life. Screenplay by Julie Dash, directed by Julie Dash, and premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in January 1991. Have you seen Daughters of the Dust before? No, I haven't. Me either. I honestly didn't know this movie existed until probably it it got something of a resurgence in its 25th anniversary in like 2016. Yeah. I think that's the first time I had ever even really heard of it. I Um, think, yeah, same. Because I think... Well, when researching for this a little bit, it looked as if they, for the 25th anniversary, they re-released the movie at the Chicago Film Festival, the international, yeah. Okay. So this was for 2017, I think, 2016 or 17, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I haven't really been to too many film festival screenings in Chicago in quite some time so I kind of lost track of that world yeah I mean I only just look at the list of movies and want to go but now that it's only I don't know this is between us (laughs) (laughs) it's too inconvenient for us to go it's only playing we're in Chicago it's very inconvenient it used to be at multiple theaters now it's only one and the one theater is hard to get to and expensive to park at and all that stuff yes it's less on our mind (laughs) but yeah i mean i I think around that time also we started seeing that appear more in pop culture or like media newspapers in terms of like lists of most important movies of the 90s right um i I remember seeing an episode about the gullah people like united shades of america the w kamal bell series on cnn Yes. You know, it was mentioned in that episode as well. Um, And so. Also, um, we watched this, the Taste the Nation with Padma Lakshmi. Yeah. She did a episode about their food and, you know, the same, sort of the same thing as the W. Kamal Bell, but mostly focusing on their food. Yeah. And so, like, it's becoming more known now right than it was then and, and i think um and i don't really know exactly why i was swept under the rug i mean obviously if you ask julie dash she's gonna say it's because of you know sexism and, and racism mm-hmm. um I, it's it's just really interesting to to see 
sort of the dichotomy of like here's this beautiful poetic film and we'll talk about the content of the film in a second i guess um that is getting all this praise at sundance like it won the best cinematography award at sundance it was nominated for the grand jury prize which eventually went to poison by todd haynes it is also nominated for an NAACP Image Award for Most Outstanding Motion Picture uh, the following year because it got a wide release in 1992 and it lost out to Sister Act, which is a weird one to win. But so, I mean, like, certain circles knew about it. You'd think that there would be something of a groundswell or, like, you know, it, it's, it's weird to think about that the movie, <laughs> uh, the movie, which is all about remembering your past. Mm-hmm. and you know maintaining this through line of your culture and your people that the movie kind of skipped a generation or two before it started to be remembered by its you know what i mean no i get it and then there's another reference so, sort of recently but uh beyonce used a lot of the imagery from this movie in her long uh, lemonade video do you ever I never watched it, no. I won't, well, I watched it once when it first came out, and then I, when I was researching for this again, I saw that it was referenced in there, so I watched it a second time, and then there's, like, you know, a whole vignette. It's very similar to the imagery in this movie, and just the, the clothing, and then, you know, like, the moss trees and stuff like that. Okay. So she sort of, like, paid homage to this movie in Lemonade. So yeah, we're seeing a lot of this like referencing referencing like within the past maybe five to ten years. That's obviously a very good thing. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think part of the issue that happened in the 90s is that people get caught up on sort of the stereotypical stuff like the New Jack City and the Boys in the Hood where it's, you know, there's yeah, they're like the urban environments. Yeah, which glamorizing are this. Yeah, the whole gangster life. Yeah, it's easier to latch on to or you know victimize. And this is just a wholesome family celebrating its life and its people. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so I mean, that's that's sort of like the aspect of racism that I think Julie Dash would probably speak to is you know, this is too positive of an image to be carried forward for a while and and yet you know boys in the hood in new jack city which glorifies the thug life and, and you know gang culture and things like that that's yeah. what was latched onto by the media and, and pop culture at the time and carried forward for a while so it's interesting to see hopefully you know that this movie continues to have its life afterwards because it deserves it i think you know we talked about how the cinematography won the best um, best cinematography award at Sundance, right. <laughs> uh, done by Arthur Jaffa, uh, who was Julie Dash's husband. Uh, he, I completely agree. I mean, I haven't yeah. seen everything that was at Sundance, so I don't fully know. But I mean, my God, is this movie beautiful? Yeah. Uh, especially I mean, like right away. Yeah, but, I would put this like this and all the mornings in the of the world. Yes. Yeah, very painterly. Way up. <laughs> yeah, very painterly shots. Cinematography-wise, yeah. Um, beautiful still life shots in there, too. So you have some 
some shots of you know like the baskets of fruit and some of the food because they do show a lot of close-ups of the food which i think is an important aspect of this early on you have you're just treated to these images of extremely orange skies it's either i'm assuming twilight and probably not dusk it's probably i'm sorry probably not dawn it's probably dusk although i'm not 100 percent sure so you have these extremely orange skies and like the leaves and the reeds along the coast are just pure black and you know that you have this nice balance and contrast and everything and you know beautiful beach settings and it sounds like it was something of a complicated shoot because of the, the weather and there was a hurricane that passed through the region at the time that they were shooting um, and so they kind of had to run and gun when they could mm. uh, and get some of the shots so it's kind of even more amazing that it, it was it turned out as well as it did considering some of the uh the issues because for the most part it seemed like it was a very I don't want to say tropical environment but you know very sunny um there's like only one little tiny spot where it says oh look like rain um but otherwise it was very clear skies and and yeah you have like the the white outfits and you have little pops of color here and there and even you know when you have darker scenes and you have this contrast because uh, you have some of the older women within the i don't town i don't they don't really establish the building structure of this like a village town like i don't know what to call it well they sort of live on because i was uh communities maybe yeah this island because i was getting a little confused where they said they wanted to go to the mainland Mm -hmm. so they're living well, I mean, I looked this... They're living this, in islands, yeah. Yeah, I looked this up. It's just, you know, the southern region along, like, South Carolina and Georgia, just down there, there's, you know, a slew of islands. So mm-hmm. they're probably living off all that. Yeah. And their whole lives, it seems like. At least the younger generation... And they all want to go to the mainland. But it didn't really say... Like, it says that they all want to go north, so... Yeah, so this is... Um, it, it's meant to... It's meant to talk about the Great Migration that mm-hmm. happened, where a lot of former slaves moved from southern states where they were being removed from opportunities. Even though slavery was abolished... You know, there's still systemic racism in place. Um, And so they were moving north in mass in order to have greater opportunities and hopefully not come across a lot of those bureaucratic roadblocks that they're definitely experiencing in the south. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably because of, you know, word of mouth that came from the north saying that, yeah, things are better here than they would be in, say, South Carolina or Georgia for you. So if you're right. willing to make the trek up north, then hopefully we can find something. So that's that's the impetus of it. And, you know, Yellow Mary spent some time, I think they said, in New York? Some of the dialogue moves very fast. Yeah, it's <laughs> so like I don't the, really get the all way the, the, of the It's characters. a little... I was getting a little confused because of how they shot it. Well, it's just like little tiny vignettes of random conversations between this family so it'll be you know like the grandmother with one of her daughters for like five ten minutes about something yeah and then it'll be you know mary talking to her cousin and whatever about something else but it's like you had to piece together their story once 
the entire movie was done. Yes. Because, I mean, it's just little, I don't know, like vignettes, but it's not like in chronological order their conversations, I guess. Because I was yeah. getting a little confused about where Yellow Mary was coming from. And then we know that within the movie, she wants to go to Nova Scotia because she just says it sounds cool, the name. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is an um, atypical structure for a movie. Um, yeah, but I don't... It sounded as if she was all over because... Yeah, she was... She attached herself as basically like the uh, the nanny for a family, like a rich family. Yeah, but then it also... And so they moved to different places, including Europe. And I think she spent some time in New York as part of okay. that. Okay. And then... But she, it seems as if she was also like a sex worker because her cousins and aunts, maybe were sort of criticizing her. Well, I don't know. Um, it's either that or I guess we should probably give a trigger warning right now because there's another character where it's definitely applicable Oh yeah. Um, uh, for, for rape. Um, yeah, sexual assault. So I think that's probably what happened to Yellow Mare. She might not have been a sex worker, but it sounded like from what Eula was saying near the end, it's like, why are you shunning yellow mary yes. and you're not shunning me even though i'm also tainted quote unquote in right. the same way and so yeah like yellow mary was impregnated by someone against her will mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in one way or another um, and then that baby that baby died passed is stillborn and, i think right is that yeah, what they said i think so and i mean she was still producing milk so that's why she became sort of a nanny for this rich family and was feeding their children yeah yeah and then it's, like breastfeeding and, their children and, and she has the line here i fixed the titty and they send me home mm -hmm. right so like as soon as the milk ran dry you're useless to us right goodbye um, so yeah, it is it is difficult but yeah i think uh there were a couple people and, and i forget where viola had come from Early on in the movie, they, Viola and, and Yellow Mary meet up on this boat that's taking them downstream or river uh, to the landing where the, the family is. as something of like a mini reunion before the main reunion. And so they're both from out of town. They're, they both have established themselves up north to yeah. some degree. And by up north, we basically just mean, you know, off the island. Yeah, they could still be, uh, that's why I was like, they could still be coming from, like, South Carolina. I mean, they don't yeah, really I, say... I think that's where Viola was, but I'm not 100% sure. I mean, she, and they bring, so Viola brings this photographer, and then... Mr. Sneed. Yeah, Mr. Sneed, and Yellow Mary, I mean, I had to look this up, that the other woman... Trula. Trula was like her lover. Yeah, they they but never they say that. They don't say it at all, but I had to look it up. Because, I mean, they kind of show them holding hands and running off. And they're always together just laughing. And I'm assuming they were like smoking weed, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember seeing anyone smoke. But they were like hanging out in a notes. tree. They were hanging out in a tree oh, smoking yeah, and yeah, cracking up and being kind of right. silly. So yeah, I was like, yeah. okay, maybe they were just smoking. And they, that's why I always 
thought that's why everyone shunned Yellow Mary because she was like the wild child, quote unquote. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's also obviously a religious aspect to this whole yeah. story as well, where Viola is very much she becomes the like Christian, the Baptist, very devout Christian while and then she this is throughout the movie where she's kind of I guess shunning their like their grand her grandmother or her mom see the the, the matriarch yeah they the, call her grandmother they cr- but I don't think we it's it's tough to say because they don't really go in through introductions to characters right. because of the way the structure is done but so they're saying like Nana is the great I'm sorry, is, is the grandmother of people like uh, Yellow Mary and Viola and um, Eula. I mean, Agar. just, I mean, yeah, she's great kind of like of the great, yeah, the grand, she's the and great, matriarch. great grandmother of the narrator who is an unborn child, which we'll yes. get to later as well. But I, I don't see, I don't ever remember hearing what who is the mother to Yellow Mary or Viola if she's yeah. I'm assuming or she that just could means be that like, she's no longer with a, with the right. family or she could just be the aunt because they're all kind of cousins too Viola and Yellow Mary are cousins and they say that they share the same like their mothers were sisters I think could be they say it in the beginning. But yeah, if if the mothers are actually there, we don't we don't really we don't get see, to well, yeah, we it's may tough see for us them, to but know. they didn't establish who was whose mom's or sister or cousin. I mean, they do say cousin to each other. Yes. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the relationships between some of the characters are confusing in mm-hmm. this to say the least. But to get back to the religious point of it all, Nana is a you know, she practices hoodoo, which right. is very common in the Gullah culture, especially at that time, even somewhat today, from what I understand, with the brief research that I did, so forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, and so that obviously flies in the face of the Christian teachings, and so yeah. there's that battle uh, within the family as well, and, and, you know, don't teach our kids these things, and don't say these things when Jesus is the true Lord and Savior, and yeah, that, that sort of... Everything kind of culminates at the end in a lot of uh, emotional eruptions. You also do have um, the older man, Bilal. Yes. He was more of a practicing... They do say this also. That yeah, he's, he's a practicing a Muslim. practicing Muslim. And he's kind of like... And he's also kind of shunned. He's been shunned <laughs> pretty much. But he's kind of like a loner too like he doesn't really mind being a part of this family or not a part of it he just does his own thing yeah and, and a lot of what his own thing is working on anti-lynching legislation mm-hmm. you know up north in the mainland and so he's not around a whole lot either yeah um but yeah there are some minor things and the reason Bilal comes into play is that he is Supposedly, I think what they said is he is the the last person to come over on the slave ships that landed there. Yes. Um, and he also tells the story of the, the other people. Was it the other people on the same slave ship? Or was it... Because they talk about... Okay. 
again, we're kind of going all over the place, but so does the movie. Yeah. Um, there is the uh, the story that Eula tells. We have barely touched on Eula, but she's really sort of the main character in this whole story. There's the story that Eula tells is um, about men walking on water mm-hmm. and this is happening while uh another person is being eulogized and, and the coffin is like floating in the water and you see her husband eli actually like walking on the water as she's telling the story that's the story the... of ebo landing yes which and so yeah the the that happened it was where they're staying during this time this was like in the 18 early 1800s before the slaves were to be sold they all decided to trigger warning yeah uh they all decided to kill themselves instead of you know being sold into slavery and it was they all kind of thought about this as a whole to go and then it doesn't so do they just like walk into the water and drown themselves? That's what I was assuming. That's that's the impression that I get from from what I saw as well. So yeah, the fairy tale version that Eula says is that basically they walk on the water and they you know escape back to Africa yes. by walking on the water back home. Mm-hmm. Um, but the real version that Bilal is talking about because either he experienced it or he witnessed it. I don't know which or or he was just well, very close to when it happened because this. The actual event he would was have been, real, and it happened in 1803. He would have been older than the matriarch of this movie. Right. So he couldn't have seen it. So it's probably just, you know... That he's he knows the real story, but everyone's being story. told the lie. Of yeah. The fairy tale version of it. Yes. As if there's some mysticism or, or hoodoo, as it were, that allowed them to live. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it basically is mass suicide to prevent them from becoming slaves they decided to yeah i think basically just walk into the water and just keep walking and that that is a real event yes that they touch on in the movie and it it, it's something that i was not taught in schools i I looked it up after watching this movie so you know that's one of the the benefits of this is helps us learn yeah you know you have to have the desire for the knowledge in order to acquire it and i think this movie helps give that desire Let's talk about Eula, if we can. So she's, she's in essence, the main character of this. She's, I guess, her and Nana. Well, um, it, it kind of seemed as if it was, like, her, the Nana, and then also Yellow Mary. Yeah, I guess you can make... Yeah, that's a good Those point. You like can probably make a good, main... good case for a lot of main characters. Yeah, <laughs> but the those three were the... I don't like the ones that were focused on the most. Maybe the reason I think Eula's the main character is because, because her daughter her, is the her daughter narrator. is like her unborn daughter is the narrator of this movie. It's like Nana sometimes and then the unborn daughter. Yeah. Which I think is a really interesting device as well. Basically mm-hmm. this unborn child is narrating the movie as if she were there. Yeah. And we also see that she's there. At certain times, which it took me about half the movie to realize that that was going on. Yeah, because I thought she was a ghost of a 
child that died or something and she appeared because there's a part where mr sneed takes a picture of all the men in the family Hmm. and she appears and then it looks as if mr sneed saw her because he looks up and he's like what Hmm. and that's why i was like what is she a ghost but then i mean you don't know who she is until like almost near the end yeah when she says when i become born and there's a scene where she runs into Eula's stomach and sort of vaporizes. Yeah, and that's near the end. And you're like, oh, okay, that's her baby talking. I mean, I figured out a little bit before that. Oh, and, okay. and the reason why is because um, there are certain scenes in this movie where there's like this fake slow motion that appears. Mm-hmm. And I am very attuned to fake slow motion there's definitely a difference between what was done in daughters of the dust and what a traditional slow motion shot would be um just a sidebar is like a film student thing so when you're shooting slow motion typically you are shooting more than 24 frames per second while you're filming and then you project it back at 24 frames a second it's slower this was done in post or digitally by either removing frames or pausing on frames in order to extend the life of the shot. So it wasn't like a continuous flow of motion, it was staggered and stuttered. And so I was thinking, well, why is that even happening? Why would you choose to do it this way instead of doing the traditional route of slow motion? And then about halfway through, I sort of made the connection of, here's this little girl with this blue ribbon in her hair. Mm -hmm. And it sort of seems like nobody's noticing her and those slow motion scenes seem to only come about when she's on the screen. This is probably dreamlike, you know, it's supposed to be jarring because it is unnatural, it is supernatural, whatever it is. So that's how I sort of pieced it together about halfway through, is like trying to look for the connections of like, why is this slow motion happening and when? And then I sort of pieced it together with the, the shots of the daughter. I'm assuming, Julie Dash, that was your intention, and if so, good job because i hate fake slow motion but if there's an actual reason behind it (laughs) then (laughs) no problem but i I also think that yeah i would not be surprised if mr sneed saw her because one of the things that she says is you know the ancestors in the womb they are the same Mm -hmm. so you know even though she's not born yet she's still a part of this world she's still in there and so uh, i think that's also partly what's being conveyed I think uh, something else we should probably talk about really quickly is is the fact that we were able to watch this movie with subtitles. Even though they do provide subtitles... A couple times. Yeah, when they do speak. Uh, The accents are very heavy. That is intentional. Yes. Um, If we did not have the subtitles, I think it would be a lot harder to follow. Um, And again, that's intentional. I saw a quote from Roger Ebert in his review Mm. that basically, you know, he watched it in a theater back when this originally released without that benefit of subtitles. And he likened it to being sort of like this warming comfort. It's like, yeah, you don't really necessarily need to know what they're saying all the time. It's sort of like you're a toddler at a family picnic and you're just kind of enjoying the presence of everyone around you. And I think that's a great way to put it if you're not able to watch it with the subtitles, but definitely try to. Because it, it can be difficult to understand at times. Um, not only because of the dialogue, but also because of the structure of the movie. Uh, it does demand your attention. There's little details all throughout. You know, like, you know, simple things like how 
you know, if you see a close-up of Nana's hands, you see that they're, you know, stained and, and darkened from the indigo dye. Yeah, you know, they from... do a whole vignette, I suppose, about you can tell who was a former slave by yeah, the dye. Yeah, how long, yeah. The dye of their hands, because, you know, they had to use the dye for clothes. And they show the whole process how they did that I mean they show the process of how they gathered the food and made the food for this whole picnic that they were going to have yeah there's several scenes of them making food at any given time yeah uh, and yeah like little tiny things like they're sticking pieces of okra on the heads of the kids <laughs> like sort of make it look like I don't know if it's supposed to be like devil horns or something like that but right but I mean I okra is very scene. sticky so right. I was like okay <laughs> I mean, that's cute. How they, I mean, it's just like how they entertain themselves, I guess, like mm-hmm. the little kids. There's also like that scene where even when Mr. Sneed and Viola and Yellow Mary and Trula, they're in that boat on the way to this gathering mm-hmm. where they show them a kaleidoscope. And he was explaining how that was made or how it's shown. Yeah, he, he uh, had a little monologue that was meant to be sort of like a metaphor as well, I think. Of right. Things, yeah. And he, you know, he was like, this is something I would give to the children to show them what it's like to be on the mainland. And then there was also that part where they showed the kids looking at like a newspaper, I think, where they're like pointing out. Is there like a... Like a catalog, like a Sears catalog type yeah. of thing. And they're pointing out, like, random toys. So it's as if they're, you know, the older generation is showing the younger generation, like, this is what you could have if you were on the mainland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's interesting that, yeah, that's sort of like the the beginning of consumerism in right. these children as opposed to literally living off the land as they have well because they all seemed pretty happy anyways just playing like on the beach Uh, yeah there's there's a lot of cultural things in here that are touched on that probably aren't really well they definitely aren't explained but again are not very common to us like the whole bottle tree thing like the dancing i think was a custom you know they're uh who are they they're going around iona who we haven't really talked about either who who is um that's another, I mean, she's another important, it's what, like, all these, each woman, even, like, her mom, too. Yeah, Hagar or Hagar? I don't know yeah, how Hagar. She's she's very standoffish. She's sort of, like, the snobbiest of the uh, the people on the and island, they, honestly. Yeah, and they always, all the women in that family all always remind her that she's married into this family. Like, she wasn't, bo- she's yeah, not, she's like... Not a, Byzant by birth. Yeah. And they always remind her of this. Even yeah. whenever she criticizes something, because she's always sort of like criticizing something. Right. <laughs> yeah, like you chose to be here. <laughs> yeah. Type of, but yeah. she's not mean or anything. She's just kind of like... It's tough to know what she really I'm wants. I'm done with this. I don't know. Yeah, it's really tough to know what she wants because she's... She's against Yellow Mary. Yes. Um, but she also seems to be against Viola, who is sort of the polar opposite of Yellow Mary in, in many like respects. Like, she's... I, I really... Yeah, I don't... 
know what she, I think she just wants to because she's really uh, controlling of her daughter Iona as who's, well who's trying to be with um, a Native American man yes yeah, of that Julian island last child who is the only Native American that we see in there but I, I think they give him a nice little moment as well where they right. like have a letter written from him to Iona that she reads out loud and, and sort mm-hmm. of you know honors what the Native American people used to call some of these areas that now are being settled by slaves and others. Yeah. Uh, or former slaves. Talking about the cultural side of things. So yeah, they're doing this dance around Iona, and which I think is probably a cultural thing that I just don't, I'm not very familiar with, but if you're aware, you are aware. Um, and then things like the, the glass bottle tree, mm-hmm. um, that had a significance that I don't understand. And I, lo- I try to look that up as well. And it, it sounds like the it's probably rooted in hoodoo where um, spirits who are passing in the night will get trapped in the bottles. Mm-hmm. And um, basically if you're hearing like, you know, the whistling of the bottles, that means there's a spirit trapped inside. Yes. Uh, and then that way they'll be killed in the morning when the sunlight comes and you'll be protected. But the, the reason I wanted to mention that is, is because there's a scene where Eli, Eula's husband, smashes those bottles on yeah. the tree and i knew that that was significant in some way and i just did not know why um and that's such a beautiful shot too it just looks you know he's frustrated because he has a lot of inner turmoil he's frustrated because his wife eula is going to have a baby and it's not his child so he's just dealing with that yeah well he's not 100 percent sure if it's his child because yeah Mm-hmm. And the, the assumption is that to... yeah, th- that Eula was taken by a white man at some point. Yeah, and but it seems as if you uh, Eula knows who it is, and he wants to know who it is, isn't? Yes, yes. So Eula knows the person who did it. Will not tell Eli who yeah. it was. Um, because she's afraid the Eli will retaliate and get himself killed. Yes. But he Which it's leads like into the whole anti lynching thing that Bilal is going into. Yeah, and but I mean he's just very he's going through things. He's like he's like, I don't know what to do. It's like I won't love this child because it's not mine. Yeah, he's and he's then, afraid that he doesn't love his wife anymore in certain because respects too. She's been quote tainted yeah i forget what the exact word they use they don't use tainted and then yeah he wrecks that tree the bottles with the trees and then nana has to calm him down yeah and then she tells like us just him like you know we're all family this is this future child is going to be your family right like basically this is not the first time this has happened in the family yeah here's so they're saying this in this makeshift graveyard that they have um you know yeah and it seems as if they made these gravestones for all of their family members because they show one for i think like viola and they show them they do they're all pre-made so as if even if they die or they're all going to be buried there well, yeah, I'm not sure if it's fully that, and I remember the word is ruined, oh. that they said, um, not tainted, but ruined. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I think I think the intention of that is really just so that nobody forgets who was there. So, mm. I mean, obviously now we have tombstones, and it's, you know, we have birth records and certificates in government places, but yeah. one of the big points that Nana makes is that 
nobody was keeping records of this. You know, there was probably, you know, a lot of people who had to ancestrally mate because they were sold off and then they were returned back to a farm and nobody knew who anybody was. Yeah. And so it was up to us to keep our own records. And this is them keeping their own records. Mm. So it's like, yeah, this person was born here. And so it's, it looks like a tombstone to us, yeah. but to them, it's like, they're, here's a celebration of life. Like, this is a birth this certificate. Is, yeah, their history. Yeah. This is this proof is where that they I came exist. from. Yeah. And they have other things, like, you know, the, the mini purse or the pocket that Nana makes near the end, and, you know, she has hair from her own ancestor in there, and she takes a lock of her own mm-hmm. hair and puts it in there, too. So, I mean, there's little, little reminders, little trinkets, little things that, that go a long way. Um, boy, there's so much we could possibly talk about with this. <laughs> it's just amazing how much we could possibly right. talk about. I mean, it just, I think this is in a matter, this, all of this happens in a manner of a whole 24 hours. Something like that. Yeah. They don't really give a specific time frame, but it's a very it short like turnaround it's... between when they all meet up, uh, when Yellow Mary and Viola return and then everybody's getting ready basically packing up and, and getting ready to go to the mainland almost immediately and, mm-hmm. and, and then there's like a big decision of who's going to stay behind and who's going to go but yeah it's it's very short it's like one or two days i mean with the amount of food that they showed prepared i would guess it's probably a couple days it seems to me like a, a full 24 hours so yeah i mean the movie is just all a what we've been saying just separate conversations across these this island between random or various family members and um, yeah, it's like little slices of life for a very specific yeah. time period very specific region and it's yeah it's a reunion because you know a lot of people haven't seen yellow mary or viola so it's like them all catching up with each other them all talking about the mainland going up north and then it's like this as thing once they have their picnic and after that it's like they all kind of wind down it's like okay we got to get ready and then it's like another wind down where they do this thing that whole thing with nana with the i don't know where they're they're saying their goodbyes because they're assuming if they're leaving they're probably not going to come back before nana passes yeah she is the great grandmother so yeah nana's gonna stay Nana's staying for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, she implores the whole family to stay as well because this is where life and history is. And 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 they showed that sort of near the end as well, where um, they have a scene where she's younger and and her husband Shad and then they're working on planting, you know, building this community up yeah. basically by themselves. And you know, Daughters of the Dust comes from that scene basically where they're the soil is virtually dust and you know they say well why are we going to do this because we have to Mm -hmm. you know there's that connection to the soil that nana just will not give up and she's afraid that other people are leaving that um but yeah i think what you're talking about is that she has either a i think it's a box or a book i don't remember which um but it has some sort of uh like a talisman type of thing yes and then and yeah, it's All like kiss my family. hand, kiss this, is, and, and that's a hoodoo ritual type of a thing or, mm-hmm. or, or ceremony that some people don't want to take part in. 
family members do it automatically, but this thing with Viola, she's I will not be a part of this tradition. Yeah, even she, though it, it is a tradition because like this is not the Christian way. Right. Yeah. And she then sees Hagar. That as a heathen, a heathen yeah. Thing. And then Hagar also kind of stands by Viola in this too. Right. And but they're and then they're trying to convince the other family members to not do it. But then they're kind of scrambling near the end, and some of them do. And so, but then it turns out because then Viola finally does it. Well, Mr. Sneed does it first, mm-hmm. and then Mr. Sneed go, reaches down, kisses the the talisman in her hand, and then goes and kisses Viola for what seems to be the first time. Yeah. So it's like. Does he so, romantically yeah, want to be with her? That's where... I think so, yeah. Okay. And I think it's yeah, him basically trying to say that it's okay, we can coexist. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay for both things to be true. You yes. Know, that, that's what he's trying to impart to Viola through those actions. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's why it, Viola... Yeah, eventually all the family members do this. I don't think Hagar actually does, Oh, d- really? Yeah, yeah, she, like, walks away. Oh, okay. And I thought at, at some point, truly doesn't, because she just straight up runs. Uh, I don't remember when that was, but you, like Yellow Mary is starting but to talk Trula about how she wants is not, to stay. I mean, this is the other thing. And Trula about, just straight up runs away from the whole. But Trula's island. not a part of that family. She's kind no. of like, because you see her just kind of being the bystander of yeah. She's this just whole kind thing. of there in this movie. She doesn't have much. She's dialogue. just there to be. She's with, just there to be the companion of Yellow Mary. Yes, and, and she's not a part of that. To the fa- mystery of her past. Yeah, she's not a part of that family, so I understood that she didn't do it, because I was like, well, that's not her grandmother. She's just sort of there witnessing all of this. Yeah. And then to go up to Nova Scotia with Yellow Mary, but, I mean, at the very end, Yellow Mary stays. Yeah. And, yeah, as soon as Trula gets wind that Yellow Mary actually is thinking about staying, she books it. Yeah, she, she's she, like, yeah. and I thought that was kind of like, t- to me, that was a little funny, awkward. I was, yeah, like, I was like, where are you actually going to go? I was like, gonna... so Trula is alone. Because you had to get there by boat. Yeah, well, they, <laughs> they show her in this boat at the very end with yeah. all of Yellow Mary's family, <laughs> except for Yellow Mary. Like, if you did that to me, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I got to take this boat back with a bunch of people I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, they don't have those types of conversations. But yeah, but, so a couple people stay, including Eli and Eula. Um, yeah, Iona yeah. runs away with St. Julian Last Child. There's a um, whole thing where... So, I mean, Hagar is very controlling of her daughter Iona and you know St. Julian arrives on his horse and it seems as if you know St. Julian and Iona made this sort of pact or agreement like hey I'm she's Mm -hmm. probably told him hey I'm gonna be leaving with my family but I don't really want to can you come get me right and that's I mean, we don't see that at all. We we just see him appear, and she sees him, and she runs towards him. She runs towards him, and then Hagar's like trying to catch Iona, but every all the other family members are like, "No, let her go." Mm-hmm. And then she goes. Yeah, and then she goes. And then Hagar just leaves with the rest of the family. And that's like one of the last shots. Is you know you see them on the the boat starting to head back up stream mm-hmm. or river and that's that's sort of how it ends 
One other quick thing I do want to talk about here that we haven't mentioned at all is the music in oh, this yeah. movie. Because, oh, I don't know. I, I don't think I will find a better score for 1991 <laughs> for a long time. Um, I don't know if you felt the same way or not. Yeah, I, I really liked it, and I was trying to find it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it's, it's so different than what I typically hear in terms of like a movie score. It didn't feel like it was... This isn't this isn't meant to be a negative, obviously, because I say I love it. It didn't seem like it was trying to like match the shots or the edits or anything like that. It wasn't like it didn't feel like it was made for the movie, but it was like perfectly fitting the movie. It was atmospheric, you know. It was like ethereal. It wasn't. Um, it was like background music that just matched. It didn't feel like a score in the traditional sense to me. I don't know if I'm explaining that well. I mean, yeah. I mean. It's kind of like their traditional music brought into the movie at random times. Like, and it wasn't... I don't know. Yeah, I don't know Yeah, there know were, like, a couple recurring themes. Right. You know, a couple, re, you know, recurring melodies that, that happened there. But, again, it just it was felt a like lot, it was... There, it was, like, the music became very prevalent during just certain shots where it's just, like, where there's silence, pretty much. Like, it was very focusing on the music more than, like, a dialogue. Like, there would be, you know, we see all these vignettes of dialogue, and then you have other vignettes of just the shot of the island, you have the beach, and that's when you hear the music, and then all you see is just her shots of various parts of the island with this music playing. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, it just matches everything. I don't know. It just gives you the exact right mood. It, it's, it sets the tone. Um, so the music was done by John Barnes, um, who has done a few different things. Uh, he's done like Baby's Kids and CB4. He did music for Living Single, Don't Be a Menace in South Central, Drinking Your Juice in the Hood. He's also worked with like Michael Jackson on Captain EO and also the Bad uh, music video. or the, mm -hmm. He did like synthesizers on Bad. And he also worked on We Are, we Are the World. So um, the, the one downside in his list of credits that I found is that he, he, he wrote uh, that song from Fast and the Furious 1, Watch Your Back, that oh, we make wow. fun of all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, it's a memorable song. It's a memorable song, but it's not a good one. Uh, so this is, this is amazing work by John Barnes. So I want to make sure we at least mention that. I mean, we could go on for a long time on this. I think we probably need to move to yeah. other areas. But um, I think you get the idea that this is a very deep, rich movie with a lot of layers, a lot of components to it, and that it's certainly well worth watching. Why don't we talk a little bit more about the uh, the cast and crew? I will say that as, as one negative in my eyes is that I think the acting was a bit too melodramatic. That's just my own personal feeling, especially like Eula's uh, rant at the end. It just felt uh, like, like that um, was forced. It's very, very stage play melodramatic. That's, I mean, I was thinking, I mean, I know Julie Dash wrote this. I was wondering like, was this meant to be a play? I don't think this was meant to be a play. No. I, I, uh, because from what of I saw, that she wrote like a novelization of this yeah. afterwards. But um, no, I and think this was originally meant to be a movie that she mm -hmm. had been trying to get off the 
ground for years. Julie Dash, director and writer of this, uh, she's been around for a long time before this. In 1973, she had a documentary, Working Models of Success. Uh, she's done other movies such as Love Song, Funny Valentines, and the Rosa Parks TV movie, uh, which she earned a Director's Guild uh, nomination for. She also did the music video for Tracy Chapman's Give Me One Reason song. Uh, she's done a bunch of short films uh, as well as documentaries, but really did not have much mainstream opportunities after this the way that some of the other directors did, and we touched on that a little bit earlier in the episode as to potential reasons why. Uh, she has two films with the Library of Congress National Film Registry. This, uh, which, which happened, I think, around... Oh, did I write down the date? Do you have it? 2004. The National Film Preservation Board put it on the registry. Uh, and then also her short film, Illusions, which is a, a fictional film about a, a black woman passing as white because she is so light-skinned in order to get work in uh, the modeling industry. Uh, that is also with the Library of Congress. Uh, she also did a 2017 documentary uh, called The Travel Notes of a Geechee Girl, which was about uh, Verdame Grovner, um, who does appear in this movie, and I'll talk about her in a second. She's probably, before this movie, was probably the biggest, you know, mainstream Gullah Geechee touchstone that people would have. Talked about Arthur Jaffa doing the cinematography. He had done work on Crooklyn. He did some uh, photography work for the movie Selma. Uh, he did uh, the directing of a Kanye West Travis Scott video, Wash Us in the Blood, which I have not seen, but uh, he's he's been around a little bit. Uh, Coralie Day, who played Nana, she's going to be in a couple more 1991 movies, One Good Cop and Grand Canyon. She's been in What's Love Got to Do With It. Uh, she's also been in some of the other older uh, exploitation movies, such as like Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde. Um, a movie called Bush Mama, uh, My Brother's Wedding, The Human Tornado. Um, Elva Rogers, who played Eula, has not been in much at all. She was in School Days before this, and she had a couple other tiny small roles um, that did not look like familiar projects to me. Um, but that's just about it. This is really her biggest one. Barbara O oh played Yellow Mary. We'll see her... Uh, well, actually, we won't see her in the 1991 Powerful Thing. Uh, that's a short film, uh, but it looks interesting. Uh, she was also in Bush Mama, Demon Seed, and Black Chariot. Viola was played by Cheryl Lynn Bruce. She's going to be in the 1991 movie Victimless Crime. She's largely a stage actress, though, so we don't see her in a whole lot of you know, film and TV projects that would be recognizable. She did have a small role in The Fugitive, though. Mr. Sneed, we're going to see him. Uh, Tommy Redman Hicks in The Five Heartbeats and Delusion. He was also in She's Gotta Have It and Meteor Man, things like that. Uh, there's a couple sort of pausing on the credits that I want to, to mention. Well, first, before I get into that, uh, Kay Lynn Warren was the unborn child narrator. This was her only role, which is surprising because the uh, narrator did a fantastic job. Bonnie Turpin, who played Iona, uh, she's done a bunch of TV work, a lot of guest spots on TV shows. She played uh, one of the moms in the Crossroads movie, the Britney Spears movie from 2002. Mm. And she was also in several episodes of Undressed, one of our favorite MTV mm. shows of the day. Uh, 
Um, so we, we got two sort of pausing on the credits of characters that I recognize, well, one of them I recognize visually, but I don't remember anything about her character. Um, my own peasant? Okay. Remember, I mean, like they said the name, and if I showed you a picture, you'd know who it was. Is she the one um, that was helping me the food? I don't know. There was, she was the one that was always kind of putting Hagar in her place. No, because this oh, is like okay. a younger, it, oh, like, she's okay. like Iona type age. Oh, okay, okay. Because um, I, I don't know that woman's name. They never say her name. Maybe, it's, maybe it's the other one, but I don't okay. think it is because it didn't look similar visually to me. Um, but anyway, my own was played by Eartha Robinson. Uh, she is going to be in the 1991 movie Josephine Baker story. Um, she was also a dancer in many movies, uh, such as Malcolm X, La La Land. Uh, she's done choreography for What's Love Got to Do with the Vampire in Brooklyn, Sister Act 2, Dodgeball. Uh, she's also one of the dancers in the living single opening credits sequence, and she's probably best known for being on the Fame TV series for 62 episodes. Um, but yeah, if you see a picture of her, you'll probably recognize her in the movie, but I don't know uh, what she provided contextually. I don't know how much mm. interaction she had with other characters. The other person I do want to mention is Verdame Grovner, uh, who is credited as Hair Braider. I okay. don't know if she has any other <laughs> role in this, um, but she was brought in uh, because she is well known for having a cookbook slash memoir called Vibration Cooking or The Travel Notes of a Geechee Girl, uh, which was released first in 1970 and had many reprintings uh, beyond that. Um, she's also been a Broadway actress. She's been a longtime commentator on NPR's All Things Considered and also had a show Horizons. Uh, she is a James Beard Award winner for the best radio show called Seasonings. Uh, she was on America's Family Kitchen on PBS. So like she's instrumental in bringing a lot of Gola culture and food to the Maybe masses. That's the woman I'm thinking of in this movie. I don't think so. I think I know who you're talking about. And and again, visually when I'm looking at pictures, doesn't seem to match. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, uh Verdame Grobner passed in twenty sixteen. Um but yeah, huge inspiration for this. And that's what I have for casting crew uh, awards we talked about the awards pretty much already um the only other thing i'll mention is that there was uh, when it was re-released there was a special rediscovery and restoration awards in 2013 for the boston society of film critics and then the new york film critics circle also uh, gave it a special award in 2016 upon the revival um, otherwise worldwide gross box office about 1.6 million or so that's probably largely from the re-release if I had to guess, uh, which puts it 157 on our list. And of course, of note, it was the very first feature film made by an African-American woman to be distributed theatrically in the United States. With that, we go to true crime pop culture. Well, I do not have anything crime. No. Closest thing would be the slavery-related slavery stuff of Eva Landing. Yes, which we already spoke about yeah. briefly. And since this movie wasn't released, like, we didn't really know the actual release date. We tried to find it out. Yeah, it, it was, was in the Sundance, Sundance Film Festival, but we don't have the exact date of its first showing. Yes, it was between January 
17th and the 27th of 1991. So I'm just going to talk about, I found like a blog, like a history type TV blog, like archive of random, I guess, TV guides. And I found one for January 1991, and it talked about the top 10 TV shows and then the bottom five as of that month. So I'm just going to name those off. And that's based off of, like, ratings? Yeah, based off of ratings yeah. for the month. I mean, they all, they even say, like, the top ratings for the month, even for, uh, like, the evening news. So I can, I can do the network ratings for that month. It said that NBC is the top. It has 14.4 million viewers. I'm assuming that's, like, average of all programs or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah, of all of NBC, I'm assuming. CBS is 12.4, ABC 12.3, and then Fox 7.2. Fox was still pretty new. Yeah. And then for the evening news, which I was like, okay, ABC. So NBC is the top network, but then ABC is the top for evening news with 12.5 million viewers, then NBC 11.5, CBS 11.5. And then for. I can't remember who was on. I mean, I think it was like Peter ABC, Jennings. Yeah, was ABC, NBC, CBS. I'm not sure. I think it was Peter Jennings, ABC. I don't remember who was NBC. And then uh, Koppel was CBS, I think. I could very well be wrong, but I think that's what it was. Mm -hmm. So yeah, people picked their newsman and stuff. Right. So the top 10 TV shows as of the month of January 91. N number one is Cheers. This is on NBC. 60 Minutes, CBS. Murphy Brown, CBS. Designing Women, CBS. Different World, NBC, Golden Girls, NBC, and then America's Home Videos, ABC, Roseanne, ABC, and then Bob, this was like a three-way tie at the end. So it was Bob Hope, NBC, Family, Member, Family Matters, ABC, and then Full House, ABC. Huh. Those were the top ten TV shows as of that month, and then the bottom I'm five. I'm, I'm honestly shocked that 60 Minutes was second, unless there's like some major news story that they covered that month. I mean, maybe it was just that popular in general, but yeah, I, don't, I mean, we sort of talked about this. I mean, it seems like a lot of people were just watching more, I don't want to say kind of like Dateline. Yeah, I, I don't know if Dateline existed yet. I know, I know but this mean. is like a pre-Dateline. Yeah. Like Cops was just started. Yeah, on like Fox people were fascinated so, yeah. with yeah, but stories like that. Yeah, but wasn't really sensationalist in that way. So that's what was weird about it. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the one outlier. I mean, yeah. So you have sixty minutes above all like all these other network shows. Yeah. All right, the bottom five. First one is. The show True Colors, which, for the show that I'm going to talk about next, which we watched, we saw a commercial for it. Yeah. It was about a blended family, and we sort of talked, I mentioned this. I think we talked about it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And then the next one is Beverly Hills 90210. Mm -hmm. 
Nose bottom? Yeah, wow. but I think this is like their second season, so I was like, they're probably like still. I don't know, getting ratings. I mean, it no. lasted for 10 years. I thought yeah. it was popular from the get go. Yeah. Everyone was always talking about it. I just thought that was in. But I mean, this is for the month. I don't know if right. it's like a bad month. Yeah, for that yeah show. maybe it was like all reruns that month or something. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And then after that is Comic Strip Live, which I tried to find on YouTube. But I couldn't find an episode. I think we've talked about it once But we before. sort of talked about it. Yeah, I think it's just like a collection of ste- sketch comedy. Yeah. like Or not sketch comedy, stand-up comedy. Stand-ups, yeah. That's on Fox. All these are Fox shows. Right. The bottom five. Because, I mean, yeah, Fox is new. Yeah, and so. they're not going to count non-network for this list. Mm-hmm. And the next show is what we watched right before recording was a, sh- a sketch comedy show called Haywire. And, I mean, we're going to put this on the website. Yeah. Because it's very interesting. It's bad. It also included commercials, which I that excited me. Yeah, but the commercials are also boring. <laughs> the only commercials I liked were the ones for the TV shows coming up, like True Colors. And it's it, also interesting to see Leonard Nimoy's daughter hawking a car. An Oldsmobile car. Yeah. And there was a lot of Tylenol. <laughs> yeah. And there was a lot of Tylenol commercials. Yeah, yeah. And that made me think, do you know the Tylenol murders? I do, yeah. I, I tried, I looked that up. That was in the 80s. And I was like, were they just like hardcore just pushing off Tylenol as being a good pain medication because of that? Uh, no, I don't know. I mean, it could be also just additional research and studies of like adverse effects of other painkillers. Okay. But yeah, I mean. And the, the one after that is Against the Law, which we've spoken about before. Another legal drama. Yeah. Yeah, Haywire is bad. So, yeah, we can go back to Haywire. <laughs> <laughs> it was hosted by Gilbert Gottfried. Gilbert Gottfried which, and we're not sure if it's a one-time thing or if you hosted all the episodes. That, I don't know, because, I mean, I... The IMDb page doesn't seem to be fully, like, Yeah, the IM, I looked it up on period. IMDb and Wikipedia, and it's, like, very little info. But, I mean, it's like a sketch comedy thing, but they only show, like two or three sketches and it's just like kind of like america's home videos mixed with like punked or something or yeah. pre-jackass yeah, like the first thing they show is people at an amusement park who are inside a ride trying to perform tasks like like every day glass of water or shuffling cards or something yeah like, like trying to brush your teeth or and clearly they whatever. set these people up to it or like gave them money to be on camera to do these things but we don't get to see that. Like, we don't get to see the interactions or the setup or anything. We just see them doing these things. Yeah, and then and them trying to, to do joke. it in this roller coaster. And obviously, they're not going to do a good job doing it because they're going around in circles. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a lot of um, half assed concepts that don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this thing where, oh, we were going to go film at a dog show, but we messed up and here's what we got instead. There's, there's a, like bunch a bunch children of children on leashes, leashes. <laughs> which what? I mean, that kind of, I was like, I mean, that was a big thing. I was surprised that it started that early, but I don't know. I remember children on leashes. Okay. Cause... I don't, because I was like the youngest in my family. Oh. <laughs> 
but the concept of you know showing kids on leashes and acting as if it's a dog show is okay but it's not for like a five minute segment like it's a one joke thing that could have been put into like a larger package not be the package itself and i think that's sort of where the whole thing kind of goes awry is that it's i don't know it feels like early 80s comedy that's just given the uh the wacky gross out appeal of the it's not even gross out appeal but you know just like the wacky appeal of like 90s filmmaking and graphics yeah put through a video toaster it only lasted from september 1990 to january of 91 so it this month is the last month yeah and then like that funly or not fun like the funniest parts was like the bad dubbing of like they just filmed people at this amusement just park, regular people doing just doing whatever and then things. they had to like try to think up like funny things to say yeah it's like a a who's line yeah it's like the, a bad who's line sketch yeah where they're it sounds like they're trying to improvise but clearly they had opportunity to plan and script something and they come up with stuff that's worse than what you'd see on who's line <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's worth watching for the trainer yeah factor, just watch the do not expect to laugh yeah <laughs> yeah we didn't laugh once i, I mean i, I laughed at how bad one of the jokes was <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i was more like i was laughing at the commercials more. <laughs> yeah. i was like oh okay yeah i, I would but, um, i would definitely watch an episode of true colors though in, it just look, that that does not look good it doesn't it just, look good by yeah. i'm yeah. i'd much rather watch a traditional sitcom like that than another episode yeah. of haywire so let's so we'll move on to rankings and ratings uh on your one to five star scale where are you going to put daughters of the dust I mean, I was going back and forth, but I'm going to give this a five. So this is going to be your second five, I think, right? Yes. Okay, I got it right. <laughs> you got it right. <laughs> I got it right. My second first five. Your, your first second five. My first five. second five. Um, on, on my zero to four star scale, yeah, I was kind of going back and forth on it as well. I'm going to I'm gonna stick with a three and a half, and again, it's solely because of the over-the-top acting in uh-huh. certain spots it just kind of took me for out me of it, i was just especially at the end oh for me i was just kind of confused a lot but once everything ended i you had you have to like piece it together in your mind and like think about it more anyway every movie is worth watching once would you watch this again yeah i mean i would probably watch this a lot more to just to understand i mean now that i know who's what in the family pretty much and the storyline i will i'll watch it again just so i now that i know everything and then try to get all the other small details that i may have missed right yeah i think there's a lot that is packed into this and and like i was saying before it's just very rich with layers and um different components and family members that all are interacting in ways that you may not catch the first time around um because it isn't a traditional structure so yes it's definitely worth watching again and i think you could watch it you know five ten times and still pick up something new each time if you out there want to watch daughters of the dust as of this recording in january 2022 it is available on tubi also the criterion channel turner classic movies canopy digital rental vhs and dvd as always check your local listings uh, as for us, you can listen to us on all your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. It does help us out a lot. 
can email us at 1991moviewrewind at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991moviewrewind or go to 1991moviewrewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Uh, next week is Valentine's Day, so we're going to go on the romantic angle and watch Earth Angel. That's available on Tubi, Pluto TV, IMDb TV, Roku Channel, Digital Rental, VHS TV. You can watch everywhere. We will see you then. Thanks.